It's going to be session nine. I am the light. Jesus offers grace and forgiveness to all who repent and believe in him. We'll be in John chapter 8, verses 3 to 18. So how many of you went home and actually went through that uh, um, timeline I gave you last week? All right, a couple of minutes. I'm thinking of making copies for a friend. Can I Feel do that? Free. Yeah. yeah, anything I give you that's mine, it's I, I don't copyright it. You, if you're real quick, away. there's other ones in the closet. Here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I'm happy for you to share with anybody. Um, this isn't mine, this is God's. And, well, uh, it, it was just I am tremendous, just the, tremendous resource. Yeah, I, I'm just a, uh, what do you call it? Conduit. Conduit, that's a good word. Thank wow, you. that's a big word. Yeah. Yeah. She's awake this morning. All right, she gets her star for the day. Get your gold star. You get your free cookie. All right, as we come to this passage, um, a little bit of a warm-up, if we will. This is still the festival that we were at. We were talking about the Festival of Booths last week. Um, this story is going to take place during the festival. Um, this is a lesson of Jesus teaching in the temple. Remember, the festival of booths is, happens when? In the fall. In the fall. Sometime September, October. This is the September and October just before um, his crucifixion, which comes in when? In the spring, sometime around March, April, depending yeah. on when um, Passover happens, because that's when it takes place, right at Passover. So this is about six months before they arrest Jesus. So they are already angry. Remember that last week's lesson started off with Jesus saying, I'm not going down to Jerusalem because they want to kill me. They want to kill me. So six months before they do kill him, they are already mad enough to kill him. And they are trying to find a way to do it. They need a cause. Why? Rome's in charge. Rome's in charge. Rome will not allow the Jews to execute somebody. They can punish them in many ways, but they cannot bring capital punishment. Only the Roman governor can bring the death penalty on somebody. So they need something that they can take to the Roman governor and have to have Jesus executed. That's where what's going on today as we're looking at this lesson in, in John chapter 8. They are after Jesus, but it's not his time. And so... This is going to continue on. So pretty much from here on through the book of John, which the, we've got a lot of John left to go. Um, they're apt to get him. All right. So with that in the back of our minds, let's jump into today's lesson. Okay, there we go. John chapter 8, verses 2 through 6. Somebody go ahead and read that. Early in the morning he came again to the temple. All the people came to him, and he sat down and taught them. The scribes, the Pharisees, brought a woman who had been caught in adultery, and placing her in the midst, they said to him, Teacher, this woman has been caught 
in the act of adultery. Now the law of Moses commands, commanded us to stone such women. So what do you say? This they said to test him, that they might have some charge to bring against him. Jesus bent down and wrote with his finger on the ground. Okay. Several things I want to point out as we look at this. First and foremost, he bent down and wrote on the ground. Does John tell us what he wrote? No. Does Matthew? No. Mark? No. Luke? No. no. So we have no idea what he wrote on the ground. A lot of teachers and preachers out there make up all sorts of stuff to fit whatever it is they're trying to teach. I don't know what he wrote on the ground. Now, that being said, I want to point out that the Pharisees and scribes show up with a woman and interrupt his teaching. So imagine with me, if you will, somebody busting in here and interrupting our class. What's going to happen? You'll be annoyed? I, yes, I most certainly would be annoyed. You are correct. But what, but what happens? Chaos. 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 What are you going to be paying attention to? That person. That, that person or the interaction that's going on. Jesus doesn't put up with it, does he? He stops whatever it is he's telling, and he bends down and starts writing. Now, I don't know what he was writing. People want to say he was writing out the sins of those who showed up. and there, There's all these ideas. That would be a good question when you get to heaven. Right. I, I don't know what he was writing. I know that if it was me as a teacher, um, I would ignore whoever it was and continue teaching by writing it up on the board. I would just continue to put it through because I can't talk over a whole crowd of people murmuring and all that and, and just keep going. I don't know what he was doing. There are so many possibilities that it's irrelevant because John didn't think it was irrelevant to tell us. I think if it was that he was writing the sins of those, I think John would have told us. But he doesn't. It just says that he wrote it down. So whatever he's writing is insignificant to the story. It doesn't matter. So don't read into it. A lot of people do, and they come up with all sorts of crazy ideas from this. The story isn't about what he's writing. It's about the Pharisees that come with this woman. <coughs> All right, everybody got that. Questions? Just a comment. I've got a note I wrote here in my Bible that says after after he wrote on the ground with his finger, it was as if he didn't hear them. Right, he's ignoring them. Yeah. Totally ignoring them. We're going to talk about that in a minute. But let's talk about what they're doing. All right? They brought a woman caught in adultery to Moses. And they want him to pass judgment. No, for to Jesus, right? Or Jesus, what did I say? Moses. 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 Yeah, but Moses said, made the Moses law. The right. Law. I'm, yeah. Okay, so I want to look at the law. Let's look at the laws that they are using because we're going to see something here that's important because this is going to be part of Jesus' point. All right, so the law in Exodus chapter 20, verse 14. You shall not commit adultery. It's one of the Ten Commandments, right? Mm -hmm. All right, so there's the law. So this is the law they claim that the woman is breaking. Now, it's also listed in Leviticus chapter 20. 
If a man commits adultery with the wife of his neighbor, both the adulterer and the adulteress shall surely be put to death. All right? So what's that tell us? Go ahead. Why didn't they bring the adulterer? <laughs> right. What did they say? When they came to Jesus, what did they say? This woman was caught in the act. The woman was caught in the act. Where's the dude? <laughs> you caught her having sex with somebody, some guy, not her husband. You only brought her. See, now you, now you see why Jesus is ignoring them. You're not following the law. They're claiming, oh, Moses said. Yeah, well, in that point in time in Jewish history, adultery was acceptable in men, but not in women. And often the woman would be punished when they got caught, and the guy would be ignored. That was culturally acceptable. Um, and usually the only way is when the woman got caught was because the guy wanted to get rid of her. He was tired of his girlfriend and uh, whatever, and so that was a way to get rid of her. Um, we also find this in Deuteronomy chapter 22, verse 22. If a man is found lying with the wife of another man, both of them shall die, the man who lay with the woman and the woman. You shall purge the evil from Israel. That is interesting. Adultery is considered what? Evil. God calls that evil. So here they are with this woman, and they did not bring the guy. So what's really going on? As we look at this, that's because this is Jesus is ignoring this. It's called the gotcha trap, right? Jesus, look what we found. Tell us what you think. First of all, they interrupt his teaching. I mean, that's just rude. He's a teacher. Now we know that when Jesus taught in the temple, the crowds were large. This is a festival. This is the Feast of Booths. How many people do you think are in the courtyard, in the temple precinct, listening to Jesus, this great miracle worker who has done, and you can see it in your timeline, all the things that he's done. He's well known at this point. They're all waiting to see if he heals. So the crowds are large. And you muscle your way to the front with a woman, maybe in shackles or at least tied up with ropes. And start talking over Jesus. And he knows what's going on. I mean, let's remember, he, he knows the minds of the people. We've got a woman caught in adultery, Jesus. Tell us what to do with her. What does he do? He just ignores them. He ignores this evil that his father has declared with this woman. Because it's not about the woman. Now, who should they have taken the woman to? The Sanhedrin. The Sanhedrin. This is a capital crime. And according to the law, who tries capital crimes? The Romans. No. Not that law. Law of Moses. The elders. Huh? The elders. The elders. You were supposed to go to the city gates where the elders are at, and often that the king would, would sit. Well, the problem is, is by the Roman period, there weren't elders anymore because the Romans were ruling. 
So they had set up a council called the Sanhedrin. And they were the highest body of Jewish people, Jewish men, to handle that sort of thing. So the only people that have the authority to judge the woman is the Sanhedrin. Now where's the Sanhedrin? They're in the temple, right? Yeah, they're in the temple. Likely, some of them are standing there with the woman that they brought to Jesus. Because what does the Sanhedrin want to do? They want to trap Jesus and kill him. So they, instead of doing it themselves like they're supposed to, they bring this woman to Jesus. So now we've got two strikes against them. They are only brought the woman. They didn't bring the guy. And they brought them to Jesus. Jesus is not a judge, is he? No. He's not an elder. He's not a member of the Sanhedrin. What is he? A rabbi. He's a rabbi. He's a prophet. He's a teacher. He has no civil or religious authority. He's not a priest. He has no authority whatsoever over anybody. He is simply a guy sitting in the temple explaining the law to people. Now, that's why this is a gotcha trap. Now, I want you to keep that in the back of your mind. I want to look at... Um, the offenses that lead to death. Because we, we don't often talk about this stuff. It's, it's buried in the Old temp, uh, Testament. There are very specific things that are um, stonable that you can be killed for. And I want to look at those because adultery, I mean, to us, especially in our modern world, adultery is just not that big a, <clears throat> a big a deal, is it? I mean, we've got soap operas that it, it's a, it's a festival. <laughs> Unless it happens to you. Huh? Unless it's happening to you. Right. Uh, we, we just don't think of it. So there are five, I think it's five, no, six categories. No, I can't count. It's four categories. Four categories of offenses that lead to death. And the first one is capital crimes. So just as we have civil laws, God gave the Jews civil laws and said these are capital crimes worthy of being put to death. The first one, murder. God made this law in Genesis chapter 9, verse 6, and Exodus chapter 21, verse 12 reiterates it. If you kill somebody, you're supposed to be executed. This is part of our problem in today's society. Uh, we don't execute anybody anymore. Um, God said this is uh, blood for blood. You murder somebody, your blood is required. Secondly, here you go, this is another one. Contempt towards a judge, Deuteronomy chapter 17, uh, verse 12. Now, why would contempt for a judge be a capital offense? Hatred. Hatred? Nope. That's what they have, usually. Yeah. Yeah. Well, they would consider it disrespectful. Okay, it's disrespectful, but to who? Ultimately God. Ultimately God, yeah, it's authority, but where did they get their authority from? The judges are, are appointed because God said to. These are God's people. So when a judge takes the platform, podium, whatever, the judgment seat, and sits in it, 
He is now acting on God's behalf. We, we don't think of it that way, do we? But God is a God of order, and he gave us laws, and he said appoint judges to oversee them. Sometimes he appointed judges, but they were supposed to have judges. And so when a judge sits at the judgment seat, he is bringing judgment based on God's law on the people, and holding them in contempt was considered rebellion to God. You think about that the next time you got to go to traffic court. That judge is there because God said there will be order in your society. And just as leader rulers are appointed, judges are considered working for him and holding them in contempt. God said, you, you hold a judge in contempt and you're uh, to be stoned. Well, contempt is still pretty strong today. You look at oh, trials and stuff, right? I, yeah, I, I, yeah, when, yeah, I've been to court and uh, I've seen a lot of contempt. Death in the case cause of causing premature birth. You strike a woman in some manner and the baby is prematurely born, stillborn, it dies, or whatever. Um, that's executable, Exodus 21. This is where we get our idea that abortion isn't, isn't acceptable because um, you're causing it. False testimony is a capital crime, Deuteronomy 19. Um, if you lie in court, it's the same as contempt. God is a God of truth, and he does not accept falsehood. <clears throat> Showing up and lying. Uh, three, negligence by the owner of a killer ox. Uh, you get an ox that, yeah, we, we see him. We, we call it bullfighting nowadays. <laughs> but if you had one that was that kind of problematic and you didn't tie him up somewhere and keep him from people, uh, and you just let him wander around and he kills somebody, you're liable for it. How would you like that? <laughs> well, we... We're in New York one time, and they <clears throat> we had a, had a garage sale, and people were had it had a dog which they had pulled away because it was a yeah. problem. It was tied up. Uh, there was a there was a, a a pit bull incident just this week in the news okay. somewhere in Philadelphia. And you're liable. Said, Don't go there. But the kids still went there and <laughs> got bit. But it, you know the dog. You know that the the animal yeah. is a. I mean, it's like having a lion tied up in your backyard and it eats somebody, you're liable. It's funny because our laws acknowledge that, don't they? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Now, we, they don't acknowledge them nearly as well uh, because this says that if, you're, if you do it and it's your fault and you knew better, uh, you know, you're, you'd be stoned. Now we get, these are religious crimes. So these are capital crimes. Most countries in the world have some sort of uh, laws regarding this. But these are religious crimes that are worthy of death. First is idolatry, Exodus 22. If you worship idols, you're to be stoned. Blaspheming God, worthy of death, Leviticus chapter 24. Witchcraft or sorcery, Exodus 22, you'll be put to death. False prophecy. All those false prophets we talked about in the back in the fall. We were going through the minor prophets and we talked about the false prophets. Worthy of death. God says execute them. Chapter 18 of Deuteronomy. 
Child sacrifice. You take your child and offer it to one of the gods, Molech, or whatever. Um, Leviticus says, Leviticus chapter 20, <coughs> you are to be stoned. And then here's another one. Now, this I want you to pay attention to this one. Breaking the Sabbath, Exodus 31. That's a stonable offense. Now, why is that important? God wants us to have a day of rest. Well, yes, but why is it important, particularly in our story? So we would, would worship him. So because Jesus was did the healing and stuff. Yeah, Jesus was healing on the Sabbath, and they're like, no, you can't do that. That's stonable. And Jesus says, no, that's not. That's not the idea. That's not the, the thing. Where we see this offense is if we go back to Nehemiah. And people were selling in the markets and everything on the Sabbath. And he got so mad. And he shut the gates on at, at 6 o'clock Friday night. And all the farmers showed up. And they were stuck outside the gates. And they were mad and all that. And he's like, no, this is the Sabbath. He was having people executed for it because... They weren't taking the Sabbath. They weren't honoring it at all. But then we fast forward to the time of Christ, and, well, they've got all these rules and regulations about it and are not following exactly what God meant when he said, keep the Sabbath. And so Jesus taught a different idea about the Sabbath. But that's this is why. It's an offense that was a stonable offense. Comment or question on these two categories before I move on. Go ahead. Aren't you missing a couple? Um, no, we've got more to come. Okay. I, I've got two more categories. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Why okay. are you teaching this? All right, now we come to moral crimes. So these are things that are dealing with the moral code that God gave them. Most of these, we're going to see in a minute, are legal in our day and age. In our country, they're legal, acceptable practices. But as far as God was concerned, these moral issues were worthy of death. We'll start off with the big one right at the top. Homosexuality. Wow. Leviticus chapter 20. It's a moral offense. God is offended. His system was a man, a woman, cleave together, make children. What about bestiality? There's another one. Leviticus chapter 20. Adultery, which is the one we're talking about, uh, Leviticus 20, that's a stonable offense. But so is rape. But that's only for the, for the dude. Uh, Deuteronomy 22. Incest, Leviticus 20. Here's an interesting one. Striking or cursing parents, Leviticus 21. Why? Why is that a stonable offense? Disrespect of authority? Disrespect of authority. Remember, this is the first institution. God set it up. There's a husband, a wife, there are the parents, and then there are children, and they are to honor their parents. If you hit your parents or curse them, God says that the parents are to take them to the judge, take them to the elders, and they're to be taken out and be stoned. This is an interesting one. I didn't know this one until I until I was researching this for <coughs> class. Kidnapping. Chapter Exodus chapter 21. Kidnapping was a uh, stonable offense. Those are all the moral crimes. 
and they're the ones that most Christians want to thump their Bibles and say, look, this is what God teaches. Well, there they are, and they are stonable offenses. Um, then we come to ceremonial crimes. Uh, and these have to deal with the temple or tabernacle um, that there was. There's only two. First, priests drinking wine or strong spirits while on duty. It wasn't that they couldn't drink, but if they were serving in the temple and, and working, you know, at the, at the temple or the tabernacle um, in front of God, they were to be sober. What they did on their off hours was their business, but once they showed up there, they were to be sober so that they wouldn't do something inappropriate in front of God. Seems like a good law, right? But it's a stonable offense. And secondly, unauthorized persons touching the holy furnishings, which means somebody's thieving from the temple. Um, that's a stonable offense. It's not just theft at that point. All those gold forks and knives and plates and all that stuff that, that was dedicated to the temple that Solomon had. I mean, you go back and read about that and uh, the amount of stuff is staggering. Shields and stuff, which really were stolen by foreigners, weren't they? Mm -hmm. the Babylonians. Um, oh, there were a couple other countries that took stuff. Um, those were stonable offenses. This is part of why those, we, when you start reading the Old Testament towards the end of that period, God begins to pronounce curses and um, punishments on those countries. Well, some of it, I think, is probably due to the fact that they stole the holy things out of the temple, which, according to the law, was a stonable offense. Those countries are, are to be punished for it. So these are all the crimes that one could commit that would bring death. Any comments, questions? Now? Did I get them all? Yeah, I didn't realize you had two more categories. I, I said I had four. for half of them. I'm like, wait a minute, you're missing them. <laughs> no, I wasn't missing them. They're on the next page. I'm going to turn the page. There's actually quite a lot, isn't there? I mean, there are a lot of things you could do to be executed. And so they bring this woman to Jesus because they want to execute him. They've got to get him to commit one of these. They've been trying the whole Sabbath angle, and that hasn't panned out. Uh, and it's funny because he keeps explaining why it's okay for him to heal on the Sabbath, right? He's always got an answer for it because they're quoting the Targums and the Mishnah and the rules set up by the rabbis, not the actual law. Uh, okay, I guess we can't execute you. So now they're, they're now they're trying to get some other thing going. All right, so let's move on uh, with this. We'll go to uh, there. We go. John chapter eight, verses seven through eleven. Somebody read that nice and loud. As they continued to ask him, he stood up and said to them, "Let him who is without sin among you be the first to throw a stone at her." And once more he bent down and wrote on the ground. But when they heard it, they went away one by one, beginning with the older ones. And Jesus was left alone with the woman standing before him. Jesus stood up and said to her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? She said, 
No one, Lord. And Jesus said, Neither do I condemn you. Go, and from now on, sin no more. All right. They're pestering. We, I, we have no idea how long this went on for. They showed up. He stopped teaching and started writing on the ground. I don't know. Maybe he was doing his outline. I don't know. <laughs> but he's ignoring them. And they continue to pester. I don't know how long. It, it's irrelevant. But he finally stands up and, he's, and he gives them a statement of what they should do. Again, he's not a judge, he's not a magistrate, he's not a member of the Sanhedrin. Freed of condemnation is what the woman is going to get. But what we see is this continued... I mean, normally if somebody's ignoring you, what do you do? What happens? Walk away. You walk away. Unless you're like a toddler. Uh, they, they have great tenacity. A toddler will continue. Mom, 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 mom. Three hours later. Mom, 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 mom. I mean, you can ignore them all day long, right? Dana, you wouldn't know anything about that, would you? Even teenagers will still do that. Right? Where's Andy when I Yeah, I know. You were talking about them. They continue. And they're, I mean, can you imagine... This is a group, we don't know how large it is, but there's probably, you know, there, there's probably more than two. It's probably more like ten. Uh, rabbis. Jesus. Yo, Jesus. Hey, yo. Jesus. You know, <coughs> they're trying to get him this, to enter. We got this woman here, right? They're, this is, which is probably bringing a bigger crowd. Again, he stands up and we gives them uh, this statement. Stoner. Go ahead, stoner, it's fine. But the first stone needs to be thrown by the sinless one. And I, there's all sorts of commentary out there on it. And that's fine. But really, that, what Jesus is doing, now remember, these are the leaders of the people. They're Pharisees. They themselves are teachers of the law. When Jesus says, Whoever's got, whoever is sinless, throw the first stone... He's actually quoting Deuteronomy chapter 17, uh, verses 2 through 7. I'll read them for you. If there is found among you within any of your towns that the Lord your God is giving you, a man or woman who does what is evil in the sight of the Lord your God, in transgressing his covenant, and has gone and, has gone and served other gods and worshipped them, or the sun, or the moon, or any of the hosts of heaven which I have forbidden, and it is told to you, and you hear of it, then you shall inquire diligently, and if it is true and certain that such an abomination has been done in Israel, then you shall bring out to your gates the man or the woman who has done this evil thing, and you shall stone that man or woman to death with stones, on the evidence of two witnesses or three, the one who is to die shall be put to death. A person shall not be put to death on the evidence of one witness. The hand of the witness shall be first against him to put him to death, and afterward the hand of all the people. So you shall purge evil from your midst. 
So if you've got witnesses, which that's what they are, they're standing there. Look, Jesus, we caught this woman in adultery. Now, you're supposed to bring both of them, right? That's what the law said. And it's supposed to be investigated. Well, their, their investigation is basically, we caught her, and uh, Jesus, we want you to, to try this. But that's not how, where, where are they supposed to take it? The gates of the city. They're supposed to take it to the body that is the judge, the elders. But they brought her to the temple. What is supposed to happen in the temple? Teaching. Worship uh, of God. Worship of God. That is not the place for an execution. It isn't the place for a trial. That is God's sanctuary. You are interrupting people worshiping him. That's what's supposed to be going on there. Yes, Carl. Are you saying they were where they had the uh, Sanhedrin was in the wrong place? Um, well, yeah, I would think so. I mean, that's that, that's a whole other argument because there's all sorts of other stuff. That's why Jesus, he drove out the market, the changers. He's like, this is supposed to be a house of prayer. Remember that? Now they're, now they're trying to make it a, an execution site. But they were supposed to bring it. Now, Jesus is adding, the, the whole idea was that those who discover the evil were innocent. So that's why Jesus says, whoever's sinless, throw the first stone. And then we see Ben's back down and continues writing whatever he's writing. Again, commentators and teachers have made all sorts of conjecture. We don't know what he was writing. I don't think he was writing down the sins. I don't think he was writing names and women that they were sleeping with. I don't think he was doing that. First of all, that would have been an embarrassment to them. Um, that, that Jesus didn't, he didn't embarrass people like that. He would bring their sin to their acknowledgement. I think the Holy Spirit came and was in their midst. Because that's his job, isn't it? We, if, if Jesus is taught on it. Paul extrapolates hugely from it. The purpose of the Holy Spirit is to convict us of our sins and bring us to repentance. These people are standing there. Jesus is confronted by them, so he stands up and confronts them. And all of a sudden, they start leaving. I don't think he's writing it down. I think the Holy Spirit is going from person to person and convicting them of theirs. Because Jesus has just spoken in the command voice that created the universe. Whoever is without sin, throw the first stone. Go ahead. I read a book years ago, but it might have been an Edgar Casey thing, but it quoted it as being he who has not lain with her. Yeah, that's the there, there, there's no indication of that in the passage. Again, that's they're, they're putting that in there because they, they, they make a big deal about what he's writing on the ground and all that. There's, there's no indication that that's what that was. That this is him writing on the ground, and he says, whoever is without sin. The idea being that he's quoting from Deuteronomy. And uh, I think the Holy Spirit is what's moving in these people. Because Jesus said it back just the last chapter. It's not my time. It's not my time to die. Because these people, if he's writing down their sins, th this is going to become an attacking mob in a minute. Um, but it's not his time. I think the Holy Spirit is moving in these people to remind them your sins, and off they go. 
the embarrassment. I mean, you think about it. You've been there when all of a sudden God brings to your mind your own sin and you understand because you're sitting there and some preacher is talking about it and you're convicted. You know that conviction and how it moves in you to repentance. And that's what we see here. Now, as we're dealing with the woman, we get to the end, they're all gone. And Jesus stands up and finds the woman. And he offers her mercy. First of all, he does not say she's not guilty. She says, who convict, who's convicting you of this? See, remember, Jesus is taught, I didn't come to judge, but to save. So he, who knew she's guilty, offers her mercy. And then he offers her grace. Mercy from the offenses you've committed. <clears throat> Go. But then he offers her grace. Don't sin anymore. He's giving her the out. Jesus, by dealing with the accusers of the adulteress, he does not um, show that it's okay. He's dealing with them because it wasn't about adultery at all. It was about them trying to arrest him. That was the issue. So this isn't a, a, a passage teaching on adultery. This is a passage teaching about Jesus and how he was changing the status quo and the religious leaders were not compliant with it. He was not authorized to judge, so he doesn't. Did you notice that? He doesn't judge her, does he? He offers mercy, but he doesn't condemn her because he is not the judge at, at, at this time. That's not his, that's not his thing. We also see that the woman's accusers were not authorized to judge her. They weren't the, the body of the Sanhedrin. And they go away. The judges, now th this is, this isn't a concept that we, particularly as Westerners have, the idea that judges become unfit <laughs> to hand down a death sentence because they themselves have evil lusts in their hearts for whatever. This is part of the movement of humanism that has deferred the death penalty to life sentences. We don't believe that we can do it because, you know, we're all human and we're all, you know, we, we all make mistakes. So how can I sentence somebody to death? This is a humanistic thing. And humanism has crept into our legal system. And we believe that we don't have the right to judge somebody. I mean, I don't know how many countless Christians I've heard, oh, well, Jesus said don't judge others. No, no, that wasn't what he was meaning, though. There are people that are in positions that are to judge. They've been <laughs> given God's authority by being in those positions. The government. The government has the right to judge between good and evil. That is their job. That is the purpose that God gave government. So they have the right to judge. And God has given them laws for them to know what to do in the event that you catch somebody doing something. And that may mean execution. That's a right. But we have come to this idea because man in his own wisdom 
that we are incapable of taking somebody else's life unless it's an unwanted pregnancy. That's okay. <laughs> but it is. And this is this is not what Jesus is dealing with here, though. We don't want to take those ideas from this passage. Jesus is dealing with the scribes and the Pharisees who've come to trap him. He's not dealing with the adultery that the woman committed because it's not his job to judge that. Comment or question on this. <clears throat> it's amazing how our society starts taking stuff like this and we pull it out of the context and then make new ideas. Well, adultery must be okay. Jesus didn't convict her. He didn't say it was okay. No, he didn't. But we, we read into it because he sends her away. And that's the problem. He sent her away because he offered mercy and grace because it wasn't his job to judge. He will come as judge, won't he? Mm -hmm. See, and that's, that, that's what we've got to remember. The first time Jesus came, he came to show us truth and to bring salvation. The second time he comes, he will come to judge the world, and all of that will be judged. And he will take all of us to the throne room, and God will sit on the judgment seat, and everything is going to be laid out, and it's all going to be presented to God, and then God is going to pass judgment, isn't he? We call it the great white throne judgment. That's when he will judge. Not while he's sitting in the temple teaching. That's what we're under right now. We're under mercy and grace. Oh, very much so. Without it, we would have no hope. So, yeah, we're under that. Thank goodness. <laughs> yeah, well, we'd all be wiped out. I mean, when God judges, we know it. I mean, Sodom and Gomorrah. <laughs> uh, you know, the, whole, the earth opens up and swallowed all the uh, people following Korah in the Old Testament. When God brings judgment, we know. All right, let's move on. John chapter 8, verses 12 through 18. And Jesus spoke to them, saying, <clears throat> I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. So the Pharisees said to him, You are bearing witness about yourself. Your testimony is not true. Jesus answered, Even if I do bear witness about myself, my testimony is true, for I know where I, where I came from and where I'm going, but you do not know where I come from or where I'm going. You judge according to the flesh. I judge no one. Yet even if I do judge, my judgment is true, for it is not I alone who judge, but, but I and the Father who sent me. In your law it is written that the testimony of two people is true. I am the one who bears witness about myself, and the Father who sent me bears witness about me. This seems odd, doesn't it? But it isn't. If you remember last week, he was teaching in the temple. It's the same, same time period. Different day, but same. This is what's going on. This is what he's dealing with. He's dealing with these teachers who don't want him teaching because he's teaching what the law really means. Contrary to what all the teachers have said it means over the ages. And this is what we get. Who do you think you are? You brought this woman to try and catch him up. And he, and he 
and he pulls this one off and gets out of the trap that was set. They thought they had him dead to rights. And they're like, well, who do you think you are? Who are you, Jesus? I mean, you're standing here telling us you're the light of the world and all this. You're just pumping yourself up. Isn't this self-praise? Isn't this you're grand, grandifying yourself? Um, and Jesus says, uh, I'm the light of the world. I am the light. He said it a couple days before. This is a whole pattern of teaching that John is giving us. Um, and the idea here is, is that I'm the one that knows the Father. This is who I am. Because remember last week we were talking about how they were saying, we know where Jesus came from and that the Messiah, when he comes, nobody's going to know where he's coming from. And Jesus is saying, I, I'm, you don't know where I come from. Because I'm the one that the Father sent. And I'm the one that the Father bore witness to. Now when he says that the Father bore witness to him, what is he referring to? <coughs> his baptism. His birth. When Jesus was born, who showed up? The angels. The host of heaven. And it was a multitude. It wasn't just one. And it wasn't seen by one person in some obscure cavern in some obscure desert somewhere. It was all the shepherds, and it was a group, a large group. We don't know how many, but a multitude of the heaven came to announce the birth of the Savior. At Jesus' baptism, as he comes up from the water, the heavens opened and the Father spoke, declaring who Jesus was. Now remember when we, we've talked about this before it's just down the road from Jerusalem in Jericho along the river. Many of the Pharisees were there. Some of these guys that are standing there confronting Jesus were probably there the day John baptized him. And were probably there and heard the billowing from heaven. Certainly everybody that had been there heard this which would have been quite the multitude, which this is the festival in the Temple of Booths. Guess what? Most of the Jews are there. So the people that were there for John are at this festival. Many of them are probably present on the Temple Mount because that's what you did. You went, you lived in your little tabernacle out of the side of the city, and during the day you would come in and offer worship and praise to God. Jesus says, I have been witnessed by the Father. He's calling them to remember this. It's only been a couple of years. It's not like, oh, it's 200,000 years ago and the gods spoke forth. And, no, this was just recently. And remember, if you look at your timeline, it's only been a few months since the Mount of Transfiguration where God bellows it again from the heavens. And Three of the disciples were there. That's three witnesses to the event of God witnessing who Jesus is. The Father bore witness. Even at that, Jesus himself bore witness to the whole plan. He is who he says he is, and that's the problem. That they don't want to acknowledge that Jesus has the right and the authority 
over them, over scripture, over the explanation of the law. Because that's their job. That's what they do. And if they have to bow to him, well, now that's a whole different animal, isn't it? Because they don't like his interpretation because it doesn't make them impersonals. And many of them got rich on it. You see the problem? We didn't even cover passages that talk about false testimony. Which they're going to do, aren't they? We know it's coming. Six months. They're going to provide all the false testimony we could choke on and lie about Jesus. He's trying to get them to see it. <clears throat> this is the mercy and grace he's offered to that woman. He's offering to these Pharisees, these scribes, acknowledge me, see who I am, look at what I've done, look at what I've said, look what the Father has said. Read the scripture. They're not wanting to, are they? They're putting their heads in the sand. That's what's going on. What's he writing on the ground? Don't know, don't care. What is he saying? I'm the light of the world. I am the one that the Father sent. Look to me for the answers. Quit looking in those books, the Mishnah, the Talmud. I will explain the law to you in satisfactory understanding. Comment or question? All right, a couple things to take with us. First of all, we must be aware of the traps of judging others. We need to check ourselves. It is not wrong to judge others, if that's what your job is supposed to be. If you are in a position of authority, you have to judge other people. Whether you're the boss at work and you've got underlings, you have to judge them. You have to decide whether or not they worked the eight hours that you're going to pay them for. That's a judgment. You have to decide whether or not they're worthy of a raise. Sometimes you have to judge whether or not they did something wrong. Or maybe they did something right and it's worthy of being honored or punished. Judging others is, a, is for those that are in the authority. Elders of the church are to judge and lead and shepherd. Pastors are to do that. Government is supposed to judge the people. We have to be aware of these traps, though. Sometimes we decide that we have the right to judge or that we should be the judge. Believe me, I, I always think I should be the judge. <laughs> uh, they get it wrong all the time. They just need to ask me. That's a trap. And that's what is happening to the Pharisees. That's what we need to see, that we can become them as we judge other people, that we put ourselves in the position. Those guys that brought the woman are the accusers, not the judges. But they were acting as the judge. She should be stoned. We, need her be, we want her to be stoned. Secondly, we should seek to be agents of God's forgiveness. That's a little odd, isn't it? But that's the reality of it. Do we offer forgiveness? Because that's what we see here. Jesus 
does not condemn the woman. He doesn't say what she did was okay. He offers forgiveness. And he doesn't wait for her not to do it. He just tells her, don't sin anymore. So here's my forgiveness. Now go out and live your life. Don't do it anymore, but you're still forgiven, right? We want to forgive people after they've changed. See, we're not agents of forgiveness. We're judges of forgiveness. I'll forgive you when you show me you're worthy of it. Um, when's that going to happen? Never. Yeah. Now, Jesus is going to expound upon that later on when, he, when the disciples start asking questions about how often should I forgive my brother and all that. We'll get some teaching on that. But we're to be agents of forgiveness. That's what Jesus was. It's not that we don't judge. But sometimes when we judge, we don't need to bring the house down on people. We can forgive. And lastly, we can testify with confidence that Jesus offers forgiveness. We know this, right? Because we are all guilty and know that he's forgiven us. Amen? We can testify that, that Jesus does forgive sins. That no matter how heinous the crimes committed, he offers forgiveness. Let's remember these things as we go forward this week. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that you did come for the purposes of forgiveness, for mercy, for grace, and not just judgment. Lord, we know that there will be a time of judgment. And Lord, by your grace and mercy, we'll be forgiven and we will be cleared of all those charges. Father, help us to remember that as we deal with people this week and as we go forward, that we offer forgiveness to people. Not forgiveness with judgment, but judgment that offers forgiveness. In Jesus' name, amen.